0: Please finish this sentence for me, a question, I guess. "Tom Izzo winds more than blank." Tom Izzo winds more than blank." We'll do this in the match game game show format, and you're playing the role of Charles Nelson Riley or Fannie Flagg. Um, it is Wednesday. February the 26th, about 11 a.m. Central time. The morning after Iowa's 78-70 to 70 loss in East Lansing to Michigan State, the aforementioned Tom Izzo, coach, coach of the Spartans, complained. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Pretty much from start to finish of the game, um, but I will say... I don't think officiating was the difference in that ball game. Michigan State made plays down the stretch, and Iowa did not. And it was as simple as that. And, um, you know, it was a place where has now lost 21 of 22 games. It's not a place where Iowa plays well. And Iowa played well at times last night, but not well enough throughout the whole game. And senior point guard Winston, Cassius Winston for Michigan State 20 points, nine assists, five rebounds. I think he had one point uh, in the first half. Really took over the game in the second half, and he was the difference in the game. Also, uh, Tillman played real good defense, I thought, on Garza as best you can to make him work for his points. And then uh, Iowa just didn't play well enough, as simple as that. But this is Rob Howe. And uh, you, can, you can tweet me your answer, fill in the blank of Tom Izzo wines more than blank at Rob Howe HN. This is Rob Howe, publisher Hawkeye Nation, back on the Hawkeye Nation podcast feed with the latest HN Mailbag podcast questions from you folks on Twitter and our hnhawkeynation.com message boards. Um, We will answer those questions as best we can, and as I said two weeks ago when we launched this, uh, we will keep this going as long as you have questions, and we will answer them as best we can. Let's go, I think we started with uh, the message boards last week, so let's start with Twitter this week. We'll alternate and be equal opportunity here um ben welsh was first in and i'm going to go off the hashtag hn mailbag on twitter as i wrote on there or, or i tweeted last night it just makes it easier if you guys use that hashtag for me so if i missed your question this week it's probably because you didn't use that hashtag not to be a, a an ass but it just kind of makes it easier if i can just hit that hashtag and then look at your questions in order so uh we're not running a two-hour podcast here which i think is just too long um so Ben Welsh uh, is, was the first up. I uh, must have hit this thing right as I uh, tweeted my request for questions. Ben Welsh, GoHawk11 on Twitter. Not a question, but would just like for you to mention again to everyone, amazing job Fran McCaffrey has done this season. I think he has done a great job, and, I, and we'll come to some questions about you know strategic approaches, how he he approaches things strategically, things like that, with some of your other questions. But I just think overall he's right there for Big Ten Coach of the Year. Uh, he's done an amazing job when you look at the injuries with this team, uh, the shortened bench. Uh, and I think you have to give him credit. You know, I, I know a lot is made of Luca Garza's off-season workouts with his dad and his relatives, and those are all super important. But Fran McCaffrey gets knocked sometimes for not developing guys. You have to give him some credit for the development of Luca Garza, uh, CJ Frederick, um, even Joe Toussaint this year, I think is getting better as the year goes on. And then on down the list, obviously he's developed his son, Connor McCaffrey, pretty well. Connor played really well against Michigan State. Uh, 11 points, seven assists without a turnover and three steals. Um, We had him on the – the um, big hour podcast on KGYM last week, Connor McCaffrey. That is, and uh, I know some people had asked me when he's going to quit basketball and go to baseball. He has no plans in doing that. I asked him directly, and uh, he shouldn't. He's good at both sports. Play both as long as you can. You only live once, and uh, I think it's kind of neat what he's doing. But thanks for the statement, Ben. And, and yes, Fran is doing a great great job. Uh, Dylan, uh, DM McBride, seventy seven. Uh, D McBride, excuse me, seventy-seven on Twitter, Dylan. Similar to my question last time, what is your least favorite college town <laughs> or stadium to visit? I'm going to keep this in the Big Ten, although I've I've visited other uh, universities and, and campuses and towns uh, outside of the Big Ten for covering Iowa, uh, which I began covering Iowa sports in 1997. It's probably it's it's probably going to be and I'm going to fully admit here that this is selfish for somewhat selfish reasons, because I factor in the drive and or travel to these destinations. Um And believe me, Penn State is a miserable destination just in terms of logistically getting there. Uh, You fly to Pittsburgh or Harrisburg or wherever, and drive over, or you fly into the tiny airport in State College, over the mountains, and uh, which can be very, very hairy in the winter uh, when you're going in for basketball games. But um, I'll leave Penn State out of this. I'm going to say, and I apologize to anybody from the Hoosier state who listens to this, it's probably one of the Indiana places, West Lafayette or Bloomington. Not that either one of those towns are some of, you know, I would classify them as the dregs of our country. Um, But just logistically tough to get to both of those places. And the stadium, the stadium Ross 8 is better since they renovated it. I will admit that uh, particularly the press box. But the me the the media room they have an outpost like a it looks like a shack in the back where they put the visiting team. It's just it's embarrassing for Purdue and they should do something to change that. And then just the I don't know, not a great atmosphere there. And it, it's been good at times when Tiller was there, but overall not that great. And then Bloomington is just they're that's you know the worst football environment in the Big Ten. Uh, it's gotten better. They've done some things to renovate the place, but the the press box is old and raggedy. Um, so I would probably, Dylan, choose one of those two. If I was leaning one way or the other, I would probably lean towards Bloomington just because of it's. There's no easy way to get there, and I think the the stadium environment is worse there than it is at Purdue overall. But thank you again for your question, as I I was thankful for your question last week. So keep them coming. Mark Daniel, Mark Allen Daniel on Twitter. Why doesn't Iowa parenthetical reference Fran look to get Joe W, Joe Wieskamp? And here's a logistic or a a, uh, excuse me, a tactical uh, question about Fran that I spoke of earlier. Why doesn't Iowa... Fran look to get Joe Wieskamp posted up on the block to get him away from the pressure of the perimeter. Part of the reason Mark is that that's where Garza operates a lot of times. And when you're starting Craner as well, you've got two guys that, yeah, they can shoot three pointers, but you really would rather them operate on the blocks. So fitting Wieskamp in there is going to make it that much more difficult. Um, And then I think, at least from what I've seen, I, I've watched, they've tried to post Joe, but he's getting doubled too. He's getting doubled and, and in some cases triple teamed, but more double teamed uh, soon as he gets the ball. And post outside, wherever you are, if you're getting double teamed, it's hard to maneuver. It, it's physical, especially last night, uh, you, you know, <laughs> regardless of what Izzo's talking about, touch fouls, that was a physical game. And, um, but I think they're going to look at film and continue to try to find – Joe had good looks last night. He had some open looks that he normally makes, and he he's just not making them right now. So, you know, I I think they'll – you know, Fran and the coaches and the staff will look at other ways to get Joe open, but he had some open looks last night. He just didn't knock him down. Uh, Joe Williams, Iowa fan. Williams on Twitter – Been a pretty quiet time for Iowa football players transferring. Does the next round of transfers typically happen after spring ball or when exactly? Any idea how many scholarship players leave Iowa each year on average? Second question, first, I'm not really sure. I think it fluctuates. And now with the transfer portal, I'm sure that's probably on an upswing. Um, Five? Maybe that's just a guess off the top of my head. Please do not quote me on that or, or use that as any type of sound concrete, uh you know, research. I did not research it, but I, that would be my guess. Five. But um, yes, Joe, the next round of transfers typically comes after spring ball. You get the December um, bowl prep, where guys kind of evaluate, okay, here, where here's where I stand when you're, you know, I was doing developmental practices maybe on on with some of the younger guys and looking ahead towards next year and trying to figure out where they fit in. Um, you know, the players kind of get an idea there. And if they've gone through the fall and then in December and they're like, look, I'm buried here. I'm not going to, you know, there's no way I'm going to get be able to break through on this depth chart. At least that's in their mind. I'm not saying that's the case. And there have been guys that have been buried and have emerged. But just from a, you know, from a viewpoint of the student athlete who has five years to play four in most cases, they know the clock is ticking. And if they don't feel like they have a path to playing time, they often, if they see that, pretty clearly or in their mind believe that after the december bowl prep that's when you get you know some movement in january and then similarly once we get to spring ball which i believe starts march 28th it's the last monday in march they start spring practice and then i believe the 21st of april is the spring game so um that stretch there players can then again uh, evaluate As the coaches are evaluating them, they can evaluate. Okay, where am I in the pecking order? Where where do I sit on this depth chart? What is my path to playing time? Is it realistic? Um, And that's a two way street. The coaches may say, "Listen, this is what we need from you." And the players like, Oh, I'm not going to be able to do that, or I don't. I'm not willing to do that." There are so many reasons that go into why guys transfer. But yes, there will be. I would expect another. um, And then there are also guys that will. You know, perhaps maybe graduate after this semester and be able to move on as grad transfers. That also plays into it. If they're at the end of the spring ball, they're like, listen, I'm going to graduate. It doesn't look like I'm going to play here. I've got a year or two left of eligibility. I'm going to move on. Those are the type of things to look for when you're looking for guys moving on. But I would expect at least a little bit of attrition after spring practice, maybe into the summer once a guy graduates in May. That stuff can trickle into the summer as well. Thanks for the question, Joe. Uh, just Jeff again. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Myers, uh, he has been in each week, I think, with a question, and I appreciate it, Jeff. Let's change it up this week. 2021 football recruiting targets, top remaining targets, realistic shot at getting them. How good can it be? This class is top 10, I believe for both rivals and two, four, seven. It's on its way to being a really good, really good class. Uh, You can find guys that have committed. I'm I'm not going to go through the list, but if you're looking for, uh, you know, guys in this class, Connor Colby, uh, Jenner, Jennings Dunker, some of the early guys that committed in this class. I think Iowa has like seven or eight guys. Jeff Bowie from West Branch, Jaden Harrell from Urbandale, um, Justice Sullivan, Jake Sullivan from Iowa State basketball fame, son, already uh, in the class. Zach Tweet uh, from Story City in the class. So, really solid foundation start to this class. Uh, obviously, a lot has been made of uh, TJ Bowlers from Clear Creek. It looks like that ship is sailed. Uh, you never know with recruiting and things could change but it just looks like there's not a marriage there uh just the relationship isn't working out for whatever reason so uh you know the four star defensive end defensive lineman uh linebacker whatever position you want to put on him from clear creek amana has alabama offer and a bunch of other offers probably will not be a hawkeye the two guys i think that we focus on here, Jeff, or the, the in-state guys that are possible, uh, still, and that would be four-star tight end, Thomas Fadon from Council Bluffs, Lewis central Logan Jones signed with Iowa in this 2020 class, his high school teammate. He's kind of in that, you know, in that neighborhood with bowlers and that he's got offers from Alabama, LSU, a lot of the top programs in the country, I'm told uh, he has not told me this, but a Nebraska fan growing up, obviously he's in Western Iowa, so that is, you know, uh, an area where obviously there are a lot of Nebraska fans. So I think Nebraska is probably maybe a little bit ahead of Iowa at this point. Iowa's got more depth at tight end. He's probably looking at the tight end room, and in fact, he told me that when I talked to him last month that Iowa's kind of crowded in the tight end room. So kind of feeling like that's not the best shot, but still got to keep pushing ahead on Thomas Fidone because he's a top tight end prospect in an offense that utilizes the tight end. Uh, and then Brody Brecht, a wide receiver from Ankeny uh, who's also been in here multiple times throughout the season and was back for a junior day uh, offers from Nebraska and Iowa state as well. Uh, kind of a long rangey uh, maybe Andy Brodell type, another guy from Ankeny. Um, uh, Andy would probably tell you <laughs> that Brody's a little more athletic, a little bit longer and leaner, or a little bit longer and maybe even a little bit more athletic. But uh, another guy that you want to – you know, in-state guy, top in-state guy that you want to bring in at a position that isn't always – as we know, does, Iowa does not have a great history of recruiting wide receivers. If you have a good one in-state, you want to keep him here or you keep him in-state. Uh, another guy to keep an eye on, Jeff, Joe Alt, you'll remember his dad, John Alt, played with Iowa for Kirk Ferentz as the offensive line coach back in the 80s, then with the Kansas City Chiefs. Joe Alt is going to be an offensive lineman. He's from Minnesota. He has an offer. Northwestern has also offered him. He's got a Minnesota offer. He's another guy I think that Iowa has a chance to, uh, to possibly reel in in this class. Then you look at uh, a Bo Stevens, an offensive tackle from Blue Springs, Missouri, I think is another guy very high on Iowa's list. He has offers from Arkansas, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, Louisville, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M, West Virginia. Like Iowa's chances with Bo Stevens a lot. He's been on campus a lot. He um, – Really likes the Iowa offensive line tradition. So those are some names I would keep an eye on, maybe with possibilities somewhat. I left Griffin Little out to a uh, uh, state champion wrestler last week uh, from Bettendorf also is already committed in the in the uh, 2021 cl- class, excuse me. So those are some names. There will be others that pop up, and there are others out there that Iowa is actively recruiting and offers. are still going out in that 21 class. Um, Keegan Johnson is another guy uh, from um, from uh, excuse me uh, Nebraska who Iowa likes a lot. I believe he may have trimmed his list last week, and Iowa was in the top three. Son of a Nebraska player, though. And then it would be remiss of me. I wrote a story on Cooper Dujon uh, from Ida Grove last week. Really good athlete. Iowa's recruiting him as a safety. Um, Iowa is his. He grew up an Iowa fan. Uh, Iowa's his only Power Five offer to date. Um, he is a guy that I think will be a Hawkeye eventually, and uh, really, really, really intriguing package. You, I, I encourage you to go find the story I wrote on him. I believe I published it on Saturday, and look at the basketball video that I put in that and of, of this kid dunking uh, pretty effortless, effortlessly. Uh, really good athlete. Somebody brought up Tyler Sash on Twitter comparison. That's what popped in my mind. Um, so, Cooper Dijon from Ida Grove. Keep an eye on him. Thanks for the question, Jeff. Hawkeye State, State Hawkeye, at State Hawkeye Twitter. Do you agree or disagree with this statement? Kirk Ferentz will remain Iowa's football coach until Abarda agrees he will hire Brian. I don't think it's that rigid Hawkeye State. I don't think <laughs> no, Kirk's going to coach until he's 90. Uh, Because Barta hasn't hired Brian yet, I think. I think all the parties, and this is just speculation. I don't know. Nobody's ever told me this. Kirk wants Brian to succeed him at Iowa, and that's. Why wouldn't he? It's his son. It's a program that he played for. Kirk has been here. You know, if you take into the him being an assistant and head coach over thirty years with the program. Of course he wants to keep it in the family. Uh that just makes sense. But I don't think anybody's holding a, a gun to Bart's head saying, Hey, I'm staying here and you're paying me four or five million dollars a year until you hire my son. It's gotta be earned to some degree. It just it's not a success. There's no succession plan. Maybe that happens. Maybe that happens in a year or two where I was done well enough over, you know, we've seen this four. I guess, five-year stretch of 47 wins. Maybe that continues for the next two or three years. Kirk will be 65 this year. He's 67, 68. And, you know, they figure, okay, now we can name the succession plan. Now we can have the coach in waiting in Brian. He's been the offensive coordinator now for six or seven years, and it makes more sense. But I do not think – I would say I disagree with the statement. Kirk Ferentz will remain Iowa's football coach until – Barta agrees to hire Brian. I do not agree with that statement. I think Brian may end up being the next quote coach, but I don't think Kirk's going to hang around until Barta agrees. Really nice guy on Twitter at Yunizi underscore. I saw people questioning if he would have, if we would have beaten MSU with CJ. I don't think that's the right question to ask with Wieskamp going one for eight. Each one of the misses down the stretch, including layups, would have been huge with the Spartans clawing back. What is going on with him? He's in a shooting slump, and he's getting a heck of a lot more attention than he's gotten in the past. Uh, when other, you know last year, you know Isaiah Moss, Nicholas Bear, uh, Tyler Cook, he was not as he was not one of the go-to guys, and he's been good in that role this year. But now with C.J. Frederick out. And, and Garza, there were there was another you know there was a there was a snapshot photo at Minnesota with five guys guarding Luca Garza at one point. Last night, I think there were four guys on at, from Michigan State on Garza at one point. It's just he's gaining so much attention that the next guy is Wieskamp, But the problem is teams are are so willing to let Connor McCaffrey and Joe Toussaint, and even Ryan Creener and Bakari Evelyn and Pemsel, all those guys, they're just going to let them – they're perfectly fine letting those guys beat them and taking Wieskamp and Garza away. I'm not saying it has to do all to how Wieskamp is being defended, particularly last night. He had open looks that he normally makes that he did not make. Guys getting shooting slumps. Then it gets in their heads a little bit. Joe, knowing Joe, I've known him since he was a freshman in high school. He'll pull out of this. He will. And in listening to Fran's game last night, he was a little displeased with the amount of physicality that went on. But that's playing Michigan State in East Lansing. They're going to clutch, grab, hold. And they did that at Minnesota with uh, Joe as well. Joe's got to figure, figure out a way to counter that. And But I like what Fran said last night. Wieskamp, although he's not – helping his team as much as you would like in terms of scoring. In situations like that, you have some players that hurt their team by hunting shots, by forcing the issue. For the most part, Joe is not doing that. He's giving it up and letting other players have open looks and having a chance to help the team, and he's not hurting the team. His shot will come around. He'll get freed up. He'll do. Th- Frederick will come back and open things up, spread the floor a little bit more, and he'll be fine. I'm not worried at all about Joe Wieskamp. Chris Bryant. I don't know if this is the guy for the Cubs. No, spelled differently with a C. Detroit Hawkeye. Uh, who who? Do, excuse me. Who deserves more of the blame for not focusing more on Stanley's throwing mechanics? K.O.K. as the position coach or? kfz kirk ferentz for not telling kok to clean them up this is uh this is in regards to what nate stanley said on tuesday uh during his interview at the nfl combine down in indianapolis saying that he spent this offseason working with a quarterback whisperer guru whatever you want to call him to clean up his mechanics uh instead of throwing the football like a baseball it's more relaxed uh what's the word fluid uh i don't know i i am not gonna blame to answer your question chris i would say it's more the mechanics the responsibility for throwing mechanics falls to kok to ken o'keefe he's the quarterback coach that's his only job um that's the only position he coaches there's like four guys in the room That's up to him. You know, Kirk is coaching an entire team and is more – not more. He is an offensive line. Uh, That's his area of expertise. Ken has always – has been a quarterback coach and, and, uh, you know, offensive mind in terms of that position for years. So it's up to him. But I'm not going to – I don't know if Ken hasn't tried to work with uh, Nate and it hasn't worked out. Uh, it messed with his whatever, his rhythm or whatever, and they backed off it. I would have to ask Ken O'Keefe and Nate Stanley directly uh, what, you know, if they just never noticed it or never looked at it or whatever. If that's the case, then, you know, whatever. But if you look, Nate's uh, completion percentage did go up this year. And that was without Fant and Hawkinson. So I think there needs to be some, this may just be a natural progression for him too. So uh, I don't really want to lay the blame on anybody there. I'm just happy for Nate that he's getting it figured it out, figured out. Uh, Hayden Romag at Hayden Romag on Twitter. Thanks for the question, Hayden. Thanks for the question on uh, Nate Stanley, Chris. This is the most fun I've had with Iowa basketball since 2006. Outside of that, that's my recollection of Iowa basketball teams. How much fun is this to everyone else? Excuse me, I burped. Um, I will let everybody else answer that. For me personally, it's. Is, I would agree. This is in the most, one of the most enjoyable seasons I've covered since 97. Uh, I would agree with you that the, sick, the 06 team with uh, one of my podcast partners, Greg Bruner, Jeff Horner, Adam Holuska, uh that crew – was really fun to cover that, that the atmosphere in Carver at the end of that season, when Iowa was, you know, uh, competing for a big 10 championship with Ohio state was just electric that, and that was a fun team to watch. You had Eric Hansen, six man of the year blocking shots Um, or maybe Doug Thomas was the six man of the year. Either way, thunder, Doug Thomas with the thunderous dunks. Uh, That was a really fun team. This team is just, I think this team was – it was less – there was less expected of it. I think that plays into it, and it's just – it's fun to watch them grind. And then, you know, Luke is the best player I've seen in my time covering Iowa basketball. I'm not going to – I know the color commentator for ESPN, whose name I won't uh, share because I don't like him, said that Garza is the best player in the history of Iowa basketball – yeah, I mean, if you're going awards-wise, he has a chance to do that. But I'm not going to say he's better than Ronnie Lester uh, or other guys that would come up in that conversation. Uh, Luke is having a great year, and I think you have to put it up there with some of the great greats of all time. Uh, clearly, and especially if he wins National Player of the Year. Uh, but this is a great and it's a fun year, and I hope that people are taking the time to enjoy it, Hayden. I, I hope it's not, you know. Because, you know, you see – and I get it. People are upset after losses, and, and they sometimes overreact. But this has been a really fun basketball season that was unexpected. And you have to soak these up because you just never know. Not Next year is not guaranteed. I know quite a few people are trying to look to next year and think about the possibilities, and that's great. And it may turn out to be even better, but it may turn out to not be as good. You don't know which guys are coming back. Injuries, as we saw this year, are part of the game. Enjoy now. Enjoy today. Enjoy what this team has a chance to do here down the stretch with two more home games and then the finale at Illinois, the Big Ten tournament, and then the NCAA tournament. Let's enjoy this team for what it is and what it's accomplished because it's pretty special. DC Hawk, DC underscore Hawk six on Twitter. There has been so much buzz the last few years about Ferentz retiring. Nick Saban is four years older, and I don't hear the same buzz. Maybe there is in Tuscaloosa, but why do you think there's been so much buzz around Ferentz retiring when he's in a good health and seems happy? That's a fair question, DC. I don't know. I think there's probably talk about it in Alabama that we don't hear, um, but Saban's competing for national championships annually, Uh, He hasn't been as at at Alabama as long as Kirk has Uh, his son is not the offensive coordinator. So people are thinking, uh, you know, the retirement's imminent because they're waiting for, you know, the succession plan to happen, which I talked about earlier. That's the, that I'm not saying that's happening, but that's in people's mind. Why people are there. The buzz you talk about is happening. Um, But Kirk, I wish I, you know, before I was going to do this podcast earlier this morning, I went out, took a nice walk today, uh, tried to try to walk every day, exercise, and I'm not even close to as in good a shape as Kirk Ferentz is, and he's, whatever, 13 years older than I am. Um, you know, I walk, what did I walk today? I walked almost four miles today. Pretty good jaunt out here in the 20 degree weather. Um, and I'm still overweight and not in as good a shape as, as Kirk Ferentz, but i had yogurt with berries this morning. That's kind of my morning. I try to eat healthy at early in the day and then it goes downhill from there. <laughs> I tell my wife that I eat healthy early in the day so I can just drink beer and eat unhealthy in the evening. And that's why uh, I need to exercise to keep myself somewhat at a, you know, respectable weight, I should say. Um, and those that have you seen me probably say fifty-two. That guy looks like he's sixty-five, um, but yeah, I I don't. And people ask this, and I think it, I mean he's sixty-five. So I think at this point, you you know you you can he's he's closer to the end of the road than he is at the beginning. You just don't know when that is. And I think Kirk could comfortably coach five more years without, unless something happens to him physically, health-wise. He's sharp as a tack. He's having fun. He's got younger guys in his program coaching, um, and I think he's you know he's enjoying this. They're having success. Program's in a good place right now. So I do not see it happening in the next year or two. Maybe three. You start to look at it a little bit more. Like I said earlier, depending on what the trajectory of this program is but let's see. I, I don't, I think we, we've got Kirk for at least a couple more years. And, and I would not be surprised if it runs out to five or more uh, Mark Duff. Did I get one from you already? Mark, are you back? No, I mixed you up with somebody else. Maybe um, Mark Duff at dial 54, another frequent uh, contributor here to the mailbag podcast here on HN. Mark Duff asks, is C.J. Frederick's ankle injury on the same foot as his stress fracture? It is not. It's the other foot. Um, so he's hurt both feet this <laughs> year, which is not good, but probably better that the injury of the ankle did not come. Uh, it wasn't a stress, reaction for a stress fracture either, Mark. It was a stress reaction, and they were hoping to keep it from a stress fracture, which they did. So thankfully, or his season would have been done. Make sure I don't have any questions here. Uh, let see. Uh, uh, I don't see any more here without the hashtag. Uh, all right, here is one without the hashtag. I'm going to get you this week, Pet Rescuer at Hawkeye WNC, but you got to use the hashtag next time or I'm not going to get you <laughs> to threat scale of one to 10. How concerned are you about Joe Wieskamp slump extending into the postseason, And will this slump increase the odds that he returns next season? Last part of that first, I don't think it plays into it because it is a slump. I don't think it's like, you know, I'm trying to think about pitcher and major league baseball history. That's, lost his control and never regained it. He'll get the shot back and he'll be fine. He's going to go through the draft process. He's going to test. He's going to work out for teams and they're going to give him evaluation. Then he's going to make a decision. So I don't think that's going to increase his odds of coming back. Uh, I'm not over. I said this earlier, pet rescuer that I'm not overly concerned with this. So refer to my previous answer. I, it, does, will it extend into the postseason. I don't know. That's hard. I can't predict that. I think he will break out of it before then, though. But that's just me speculating. Sorry, tasted like uh, yogurt. Uh, Why does Fran consistently wait two or three possessions too long before calling timeout? This is Nikki French at the Nikki French on Twitter. Again, not using the HN mailbag hashtag, Nikki. I will not. Next, I promise you guys, (laughs) I will. I will not use – I'm not going to answer your questions if you don't use the hashtag next week. This will be the last week I do this. So, uh, yeah, I've had complaints with Fran waiting to use timeouts. Um, He likes to have them at the end of games. Um, And in this case, this year, I'm giving a a little more leeway, and I know that's kind of the narrative that's been out there about his timeout usage that's been built up over the decade he's coast here. But this season I think is a little bit different just because – He's most nights been playing seven guys and you need to use those timeouts sometimes for rest, particularly like last night where you're playing Luca Garza almost the entire game. I think he sat for whatever it was, you know, 30 seconds, maybe less than that. Um, So he's using them. He's trying to, to, to use them in the, for those situations as well. But yeah, that's just France' thing, and I think it's going to be his thing. He's going to use them when he feels like he needs to use them, and my guess is people are going to disagree often with when he uses them. Let's see here. All right, that does it for Twitter questions. Let's hop to the message board. Let's go football first. Just ah, Let's go basketball first, being as we're on pretty much a basketball bent here from the Twitter questions. Uh, okay, so that's the football board. I'm on the wrong football board. Uh, let's see. Hawk in Arkansas wants to know whatever happened to Jacob Jakes. I think he's still in the areas. He's selling cars. Crap. I, um, I see him around occasionally. I think, um, I also see Joe Firmino around sometimes. I know he sells cars. Maybe I'm getting him mess, mixed up with Jacob Jakes. I'll look into that for you, Arkansas, and I'll get back to you. Spider Rico on our Hawkeye nation message board. Um, and if you don't know who spider Rico is, I'm not telling you, Google it. It's, um, it's a great character. Um, and I'm troubled by his avatar, which is that it guy from Stephen King movies with the balloon freaks me out. Um, has got four questions. I'm going to try to zip through these somewhat quickly here because I don't want this thing running on too long again. Uh, is, is Joe J.W. Joe, Joe Weese just going through the typical sophomore slump, or is there more going on that than you think? I touched on this earlier, Spider. I think there are a couple things going on. Uh, obviously, he's a, a, you know in a different position than he was last year—not you know guard, forward, center—but just in terms of the pecking order on Iowa, so more attention is being given to him through scouting reports, things like that. Opponents are very physical with him recently. He's got to get over that. And But for the most part, I, I, I don't think it's a sophomore slump. I think it's just a shooting slump. And guys go through that. I think he's going to be fine. He got good looks against Michigan State for the most part. They just didn't go down. I've, eventually, they'll start going down. I wouldn't be surprised if that's Saturday against Penn State. Number two, I thought Fran made a big mistake in keeping JT on the bench. That would be Joe Toussaint on the bench when MSU made their run. JT had been playing great on Winston. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and Iowa was playing zone too for some of that. And he Winston was able to break that break down the zone, which you don't like to see. But, yeah, I, I go back and forth on this, Spider. I, sometimes I think he has too quick of a hook with Joe. Um, but I know. I also know what he's trying to accomplish. He's trying to teach him what he wants. And, you know, part of that coaching goes on when he takes him out of the game. So, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, maybe Tucson and his D slow Winston down, but there's no guarantee that has, that'll happen. Winston is is, you know, he's one of the best players I've ever seen in the Big Ten for my years covering it. And there's there's a chance he would have gotten loose anyway. Um, and it wasn't just him. I mean, Rocket Watts and, and Aaron Henry also went off. So it was those three guys that did Iowa. And I think they combined for what, 61 points of the 78? So, yeah, it wasn't just Winston. Um, but I don't know. Hopefully Joe... Toussaint does enough to keep himself on the court by not having silly fouls and silly turnovers. And then Fran can – and Fran's got an option to go with a graduate transfer that is steady, um, if unspectacular. So I get why he did that on in on the road, and uh, I'm not so sure Winston went, went off anyway. Garza is o for his last 10 on threes, has been short on many of his free throws, and has looked somewhat labored in the post of late which seems to maybe indicate tired legs. Do you fear the season might be catching up with him? Do you think he's got a second or third wind in him? Um, I was not in East Lansing last night, but I saw the guys that were there. Um, He talked about having uh, an injury or or not being at full strength. I think he's dinged up. And I asked him about this last week, how his body's holding up. He's probably wearing down. He gets pounded on every night. He doesn't have anything major. But he is. I'm not sure there's anything you can do about do about that. Excuse me, Spider, because you need him, and he's going to play, and he's in tip-top shape. I, I don't think he's probably got some tired legs, but he he can play through that. He's not the type of you know high-flying athlete that needs to be at. He can play maybe less with less gas in his tank than some other guys because of the way he plays um and the free throws he's been kind of off on all year so I don't know if I would attribute that to him be wearing down maybe the three pointers sometimes I I wish he wouldn't take as many of those (laughs) he and Creener, I'd rather see them inside I know they can make those but sometimes um it's a matter of you know, and I think Fran mentioned this in the postgame. He would have liked to have seen Luca maybe be inside. But I also get Luca's getting pounded on. He's trying to free himself up a little bit. So I see both sides of that. I, I do I feel like he's that the season's catching up with him? Man, maybe a little bit, but I I don't think it's gonna I don't think it's going to do him in. It may slow him down here and there, but he's gonna be fine. He's still the best player in the league. Uh, number four and final question from Spider Rico. True or false, CJF plays Saturday against Penn State. CJ Frederick, um, I think he will play against Penn State. I think that's kind of been the loose target date for him. Uh, he's been close the last two games. Fran said in his post game at Michigan State that he thinks CJ will play on Saturday. Uh, he'll have three days, today being Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to get ready. It is a morning game on Saturday. It's 11 a.m. tip local time, so he doesn't really have that day to recover. I think we see him in some way, shape, or form on Saturday and then kind of ramp up from there uh, moving on to the final week of the regular season and then the Big Ten tournament. Uh, TK Sirius, HN's love doctor. Not a question, but just stating that Winston scored 13 of his 20 points after Toussaint was played. Yeah. Kind of, you know, piggybacking on spider uh, talking about that as well. Again, I don't know if Toussaint would have continued to to stop Winston or slow him down. It's hard to know. It it really is. It's hindsight's 2020 in these things. Hindsight. Yeah. I would rather see Toussaint stay in there. um, And take my chances because I know what Winston did without him in there. So that's kind of my riding the fence answer on that in good company a well-known member on the message board and, and an excellent contributor to the site and somebody I appreciate having on there. I appreciate all of you guys. Um, just figured I would say that, um, that I do appreciate you guys. Cause sometimes I can be a little bit uh, poopy on the message board if I'm in a bad mood. Uh, let's see. Text messages from people. With three games of the regular season left, what is the highest seed you see for the NCAAs, and what is the lowest seed you see? Floor, ground kind of deal. At this point, probably four would be the highest, and I would – it's hard – it's so hard to say because it's not – doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's going to depend on what other teams in the Big Ten do, do as well. It's not just Iowa. Um and then also what I was able to do in the, the Big Ten tournament where we get all these teams on a neutral court finally and home court advantage is out the window and we'll see how these teams hold up against each other uh, on an even playing field, so to speak. Uh, but I do think the high is probably a four at this point. I, I would be really – I don't see a three unless they ran the table in this and then maybe made it to the Big Ten champion, because I think Maryland right now is projected as a three seed as the Big Ten champion. So I would probably say four, probably more likely a five, possibly a six. And then I think probably the the back end would be a seven. And I guess if they completely went in the tank, I don't really see that happening. I would say somewhere between Four and seven, I know that's kind of a wide range, but that's a, what kind of season we have in college basketball. It's, there's still a lot of – I think usually at this point we have a clear picture in good company, but, uh, you know, there's just still a lot. To, we you just look at the Big Ten standings. We have to see how this thing's going to shake out. I mean, Michigan State, which beat Iowa last night, still has to go to Penn State and Maryland, two teams that already won in East Lansing. So that's going to – we'll see how that shakes out as well. Sorry, I needed to take a drink. I was getting dry mouth. It's not easy doing these podcasts by yourself. Um, and uh, I do talk to myself too, if you're wondering. That's why it's uh, I'm able to do the podcast by myself. All right. Uh, Nike Hawk 21, another staple of the Hawkeye Nation message board. When does spring practice start and what are the, what are your top three storylines for Iowa football this spring? I mentioned this earlier, Nike. I believe it is the last, let me pull up my calendar on my phone here. It's the last Monday in March, whatever that is. Um, Kirk has kind of gotten to the point where he really likes, oh, it's March 30th. It's not the point. March 30th will be the first day of spring practice. And it goes through, it looks like April 24th will be the spring game. Kirk really likes moving this thing to April and having most of it, most of the spring ball being in April. And I think that's smart around here. The weather's a little bit better. You can get more high school kids in here on spring break for visits, recruiting visits. So I kind of like that as well. Last year, uh, no open spring practice because they were resurfacing Uh, the Kinnick stadium, but this year there will be. Uh, So he's kind of gotten into that uh, groove of having the Friday night um, spring practice game, what have you. And uh, so that'll be again on April the 24th and spring practice kicked off on March the 30th. And look on the site, we'll have, uh, we usually get the position coaches all throughout the spring and Kirk kicks it off with a press conference and, uh, We'll dig into that then. As far as storylines, you know, you could – I think the quarterback is obviously one, but when Kirk came out in January and said that it, that Petrus had a significant lead in that race, it almost seemed like he named him the starter. There's really – I don't know how much we're going to glean from the spring in terms of that. So – I don't, I mean, it's a storyline. All eyes are going to be and conversation is going to be on how good Spencer Peters can be in taking over for a three-year starter in Nate Stanley. So I think you have to make that one of the storylines. Um, I'm trying to think of what else for me, defensive line, what develops there uh, losing seven starters over the last two seasons, they've got to build a depth chart there. They really do. They have to, I mean, you have Golston coming back as the lone starter. Where does every, especially on the other end who fills in for AJE uh, you know, you would expect, you know, um, why am I forgetting his Davion Nixon? You would expect him to be one of the starting tackles, probably Austin Schulte, Noah Shannon in that three-man rotation. But then where do guys like, you know, Logan Lee and John Wagoner and Van Valkenburg and Joe Evans. You just have – you got to – and there's more. Where do – how are all the, – the competition there this spring, to me, may be the biggest storyline for me. How does that shake out? Um, and then offensive line. We – and I guess I'm not breaking any ground here. It's Iowa football, so why not be in the trenches uh, but I obviously I, I talked about why the defensive line for me, uh, just because there's been so much uh, turnover the last few years. And then losing Tristan Wirfs, bringing in Coy Kronk. Uh, you have Alaric Jackson back and Linderbaum, but other than that, you just – where what's going on in those other three spots? And you've got that group of, you know, Kallenberger and Kronk and Kyler Schott and Justin Britt and Cody Ince. Um, uh, What's his name? Why am I forgetting? I can see his face now, too. The kid that hurt his leg and missed last year. Banwart is back. There's a lot of names there, too. How does that shake out? Are there rotations? So, to me, the, the, the offensive, defensive line, and quarterback. Iowa's in pretty – at least we, we think we know what we have at receiver. The running back room is pretty pretty in pretty good shape. I think the tight end room is in better shape than it was last year. Um, Fullback will be a question mark, but nobody ever talks about that. And (laughs) I'm going to have Brady Ross on sometime to talk about fullback. Um, Linebacker will be a position that of, you know, Uh, a spot to watch as will defensive backfield with stone and Ojemudia moving on. But for me, it's those, the, 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 there's so many guys and so many names on the offensive and defensive line. How does that shake out and how much progress can Spencer Petricks make in this spring? And then, you know, even Padilla has to start moving forward now you know, and then when Deuce Hogan gets here, but more in the spring we're talking about. Padilla needs to start taking steps forward as well. He's the next man in line, at least until till Hogan gets here, and then they compete for that number two job. But uh, that quarterback room now isn't very full, and there needs to be – and doesn't have any experience. So that, that needs – that's a big deal in the spring. That whole group needs to take a step forward. O'Keefe for Prez. How do you anticipate the coronavirus will impact Coach Ferrante's chewing gum brand? I don't know. Does his does his gum come from China, or does it? uh, (laughs) I'm not answering this question. Um, Predict when Werf's and AGA. uh, This is Spider Rico back again. Spider, you're extending this podcast. Um. But he's got three more, and I'll zip through these real quick, being that he took the time to ask. And if you want to turn off the podcast, you can do that. Predict when Werfs and AJE get drafted. I say Werfs eight to the Cardinals and AJE 27 to the Seahawks. I could see that for Werfs. Um, we still have to see how they test out, but I think both of these guys are going to improve their draft stocks. With the off-season process, just because of the, guy, the, the the makeup, they're both just great guys, excuse me, and then I think their athleticism is underrated. And I don't know if that's because they come from Iowa or what, but I think both of those guys are going to test out really well. I think I think Epinesa goes before 27. If he's at 27, I think you'll have people all over the place trading picks to get up to take him. I think he's probably – I'll say, I'll do it this way. I'll put Werfs in the, I I think eight's a good starting spot. I'll put Werfs in the eight to 15 range. No, I'll put Werfs in the eight to 12 range. And then I'll put Epinesa in like the, the 12 to 20 range somewhere in there. Maybe that's too broad, but I will up. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, Spire. I'll come back. as we move through this process and um, get a better picture, I'll, I'll maybe make some predictions on where I think those guys will go as we get close draft. Number two is your sense that the fallout between Iowa and bowlers is more related to positional fit or personality conflict. <sighs> I think it's a little bit of both. I think, The relationship took a hit when Reese Morgan retired. Reese and TJ were really close. And when Reese retired, I don't think there was somebody there from Iowa to pick up the ball. And maybe that's unfair because they're starting from scratch, so they're obviously not going to have a relationship where the relationship of TJ and Reese were or was. So I think that kind of played into it. I think the positional fit is probably part of it as well. Um, and then just some. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. But I think there's. It, I think when something like this happens, it's more, there's more than just one reason. Um, but I do think that's a big part of it. I, I, Tj was really close with Reese, and when Reese retired, I don't think Iowa ever made a, made. Got connected with him as well as some other schools did. Um, number three, if you had to guess, do you think Moss or Brents will end up at the starting quarterback opposite Hankins? This is a good question, too, Spider. I will say Moss because – and the reason I say this is because he was the guy that came in last year uh, when there were injuries. um, And when Hankins got pulled, I think, for one game. My memory's bad with that stuff. But there was an occasion where Moss did come in ahead of Brents. Brents was hurt, I think, more severely than Moss, but both battled injuries last year. Pretty open competition. I'm pretty much just going on what I saw last year. would not be surprised if either one of them wins. Think both have a chance to be really good at it. Think both will play this year. Think one maybe has a chance to play at the cash position if Dean Belton moves to strong safety. Um, and I, who knows? maybe one of those guys could move to safety, but I think both of those guys will get on the field. Uh, camel toes, 102. And, you know, the love doctor was waiting to hear me say that. What is the health status of the team going into spring practice? Are we healthy or do we have guys missing significant time for surgery or other issues? I'm trying to think. You're asking me to, off the top of my head. I'm not thinking of any major surgeries right now. Obviously, Cole Banwart is coming back from surgery last year. Ryan Grisandi is coming off an ACL. Uh, we'll see how those guys do. Coy Cronk, the graduate transfer from Indiana Uh, is coming back from a pretty severe ankle injury that cost him most of last season in Indiana. Kirk did mention that he felt like he'd be ready to go in the spring. Uh, Who am I missing? Anybody else on the offensive line? I don't think there's anybody else that I'm missing, but I could be. Uh, Brandon Smith came back for the bowl game. He should be okay. Uh, Running backs. No. Uh, secondary linebacker. I, I think, I think I was pretty healthy heading into the spring. I, I really do. So, uh, unless something comes into my mind, and I'll touch on it again in next week's podcast. I think health wise, pretty good. Obviously, like I said, Banwart coming back. How's how healthy is coming off the an- ankle injury? Those are probably the two that I would keep an eye on the most. <clears throat> Excuse me. I Need a drink. Excuse me. Will Oliver Martin make an impact this fall? That is a question I do not have the answer to. Uh, I say he'll have the opportunity, but he's got to crack through uh, a depth chart that's pretty loaded and experienced. And it has, uh, you know, has, you know, the guys on on, that are on that, that uh, depth chart right now, have a more uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, have a strong, have stronger resumes that they have done it. And you can say, well, if Oliver had a chance, he would have done it too. Those guys showed enough in practice to be given the opportunity. And then when given the opportunity, they performed. So where does he break into that? Maybe there's an injury. We don't hope that you just never know, but where does he fit into? And you know, the, the, the top four guys seem pretty concrete. Where does he fit in beyond that? You know, beyond that top four, uh, he was kind of with Max Cooper this year. And Max Cooper's coming back at that fifth spot. Uh, and you have the younger guys as well. So we'll have to see. Impact, I don't know. I, with the guys that are coming back, it may be hard for me to predict him having a, a major impact. Can he contribute? I think that might be a better word. Who are all the quarterbacks currently on the roster and what is their playing style? Maybe go through some of their notable high school achievements. Uh, this is Mikey Likes Iowa, by the way. Uh, we mentioned, uh, really there'll only be three scholarship quarterbacks. Mikey, it's going to be, uh, Petrus Padilla, who'll be here in the spring. And then Deuce Hogan will be here in June, which, uh, is your next, uh, question. So yeah, he'll arrive on campus in June. Uh, I would say they're all pocket quarterbacks. They're all pro style pocket quarterbacks. Uh, They all had, you know, they all had accomplished high school careers, uh, you know, in terms of statistically and awards, things like that. They're all they all came in with, you know, good number of honors, good resumes. But as I said earlier in the podcast, they don't have college experience. So we'll see what happens when uh, the the bright lights come on. Uh, Any graduate transfers coming or going? Nothing that I've heard right now could happen uh you know that like i said earlier when somebody asked about guys leaving iowa tendency for more movement towards the end of spring practice but for iowa a lot of the spring practices around the country happen before iowa's spring practice so you could see some movement um during spring ball for iowa because the other teams will have wrapped up their springs and you know guys will have a better idea of where they stand in their respective programs is there content coming from Steve base anytime soon? I know it's the off season but we haven't heard from him in a while. And that again comes from Mikey likes Iowa. Steve is no longer with Hawkeye Nation. Uh he is uh he still runs uh he has a Michigan website and he still does a Michigan podcast, I believe. And then the Bigger 10 podcast, he now has a new partner. Uh, who replaced John Miller on that, but he is not, he is no longer with Hawkeye nation. Um, don't know a lot of the background there. I didn't really work with Steve. He and John did the podcasts together. Um, I didn't really have a lot of contact with Steve, but, or, you know, the bosses at Hawkeye nation, the the background there, but there's no longer. Um, he is no longer uh, at with Hawkeye nation. Uh, who knows if that changes in the future. But that's where things are now. Um, and I think that's the last question that we have today. So not sure how long that podcast lasted, probably too long for some of you, not long enough for others. Uh, but that's where it's going to end today. Wednesday. No. Is it Wednesday? Yes. Wednesday, February 26th. Uh, just about noon now here in Iowa city, sunny day. Um, Hawks are off until Saturday when they play host to, Uh, Penn State at 11 a.m., and uh, we will be back next week, next Wednesday in March for the next edition of the Hawkeye Nation Mailbag Podcast. We will have other podcasts this week on the HN feed, so please check back and give us a listen. Give us a like on the iTunes and wherever else you get your podcast. That would be much appreciated. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you all for your questions, and we'll talk to you soon.